Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Who are those guys? I'm Galen. And I'm Doug. And we're those movie guys. Bringing movie reviews and previews to the masses since 2007. Today is Sunday, May 20th, 2007, and today on the show, in honor of the release of Pan's Labyrinth on DVD this previous week, we are going to take a look at one of the more exciting filmmakers working in movies today, Guillermo del Toro. So in honor of that, we will have reviews of three Guillermo del Toro films on DVD, Pan's Labyrinth, The Devil's Backbone, and Kronos. But let's start off with our review of Pan's Labyrinth. Set during the later days of the Spanish Civil War, Pan's Labyrinth follows the story of Ophelia, a young girl just entering womanhood, whose mother has married a brutal military commander leading the fascist forces against the leftist rebels. While surrounded by violence, Ophelia soon learns that she may be destined for something greater when she meets Pan a strange creature who may or may not be imaginary. Now, while it won three Academy Awards, the film failed to grab the Best Foreign Film Oscar. So, Galen, my question to you is, was the Academy right for not, nomina- for not naming Pan's Labyrinth Best Foreign Film, or is this yet another time they got it wrong? Well, the Academy is right for naming, not naming Pan's Labyrinth Best Foreign Film. They should have named it Best Picture Overall for 2007, (laughs) foreign or otherwise. I don't think I can articulate how much I love this movie. So just stop listening to this review now and get a copy of Pan's Labyrinth. Buy it, rent it, steal it if you have to, Mm -hmm. just get it. It's, I literally, my notes on this page, I just have love written thousands of times. Well, I certainly agree with you. Now, in all fairness, I haven't seen the other uh, films nominated for Best Foreign Film, but I can say with pretty good confidence that I probably don't need to. I would have named this Best Foreign (laughs) Film, probably Best Picture as well. I loved it. You have loves written all over your notes page. I have excellent written all over mine. It, It, from the visuals to the acting to everything about this movie... It's great. It is fantastic, but... Okay, well, so we both love the film, but let's try to, I guess, <laughs> articulate... Okay. Oh. I want to say that, first of all, the film contains some of the best scenes I've ever seen in a movie, period. I, I'm thinking of The Pursuit by the Pale Man. Yes, that's I, great. That I believe that entire sequence, it's probably about a two- or three-minute sequence when she's chasing him. Yeah. And I don't think I breathed for the entirety (laughs) of that sequence. It was just amazing. Another scene that really stuck in my mind is the final chase scene at night through the labyrinth. Right. I, I just... Both of those scenes are just stuck in my mind. Well, I think for me, of what a lot of what helps keep these images stuck in my mind is kind of the design. I mean... 
yeah, you have monsters, you have creatures in a lot of movies, but the designs here of the fawn, mm-hmm. of the pale man, and even the, the human characters, yeah. they're all fantastic. I mean, they're they're fully realized, fully inspired, very creative. You know, the, the story overall is a little on the simplistic side. I yeah. mean... It's similar to Never Ending Story right. or half a dozen other stories about a child that lives in less than favorable conditions in right. the real world that has a fantasy world. Right. But this one just is presented so well and it's so gripping emotionally that you never ever want to turn away from the picture. It is. It's it's an extremely memorable experience to the point that it's a film you see once and I think you'd remember it forever. And it's very emotionally draining. I I recall whenever we left the theater, we were all just kind of dumbstruck. Yeah. And uh, your response at first was you didn't know if you wanted to see it again because it it was such a draining experience. It it was for me. When I come out of that film, I almost felt tired by it. But it was only minutes after even just on the way back from the theater, I wanted to see it again. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's something truly special about this film. And yeah, it's a wild ride, but it's yeah. a good one. My immediate response was I wanted to sit in my seat and watch it immediately again. But it is a draining experience, but I likened it to a roller coaster. You know, it it's draining, it's a rush, but... When it's done, you want to go back. Right. And and for that reason, I have to say, you know, for those of you who may have missed this one in the theater, it's a shame because yeah. it, for me anyways, it certainly helps to be engrossed in the film when you're in a, a nice dark area with a huge screen and That's true. a better sound system than what I have at home. But, uh... Yeah, because the, the, the sound was something that was really well put it together. It was a highlight. The soundtrack was wonderful, very haunting, very yeah. moving. Um, Particularly the lullaby theme. Yes, it's, it very much so. Yes. I, I thought that the cinematography overall is terrific. I, great direction. Yes, Just very v- good. And, and this goes back to the very memorable aspect of the film where... It's shot in such a way that you just remember the film immediately after seeing it in weeks and months and even, I would think, years after seeing it. You'll remember some of these scenes. I would agree. Um, If I had to maybe make one knock against the film, and I'd say you could correct this pretty easily, I wish we would have spent more time in this imaginary world of Ophelia's. Yeah. Not that the story between the Spanish the Spanish Civil War is bad. It's just the the designs, the the events that go on in this supposed make believe world of Ophelia. Yeah, I so guess that interesting. Is so so they just grab you, grab your attention. I wish we could have stayed more with some of those scenes. I can understand where you're coming from. I liked, the, I I felt that it was a a good split between the two. I thought it had the right mix of both. But um, you're right. I I wouldn't have had a problem seeing more right. of the designs because they were fantastic. Although you might have run into the problem of more designs, they might have not been as good too. It's possible, and for that reason, 
you'll find I didn't really knock the movie right. before this complaint, but it's something I wished. Yeah. Um, we, we mentioned the ambiguity of the story, and and to me that was something that a lot of times in films I don't like. I, I think that you should state your purpose clearly, and you shouldn't leave things to the imagination of the viewer. In this film, I I thought that worked beautifully, though, because both outcomes, whichever one you personally view as happening, we don't want to give it away, obviously, I think provides wonderful closure. Whichever way you believe of how the movie ends, I think it's a perfect ending. And together, it just makes it... It's a very bittersweet ending, but I don't think it could have had a more perfect one. I certainly agree. Um, the ending is a little ambiguous, though, you know, I certainly feel it, it ended one way. I don't know if it agrees or disagrees with you, yeah. and we won't discuss that for yeah. fear of giving anything away, but I guess I didn't really think about that now that you say the ending kind of closes both arguments. It does. In a, in a great way, too. It does. No matter which way you believe it is a great ending. And that it, it, I guess it's just a matter of whether you think the ending's happy or sad. I guess that's yeah. ultimately what the difference will be. Pretty much. Um, one issue I wanted to touch on, and this is familiar. We're going to come to this again and again with the films we're talking about today. Is I love how Guillermo del Toro, uh, you know, I, I read an article that was an interview with him. And he said that one of the things is when he's making a movie, if there's not a monster in it, he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> and what I find fascinating is, yeah, there are lots of directors who like monsters. Right. But the thing with Guillermo del Toro is that the monsters are never the worst characters in his films. You know, take, for example, Pan's Labyrinth. I, I think the most frightening character... the the character that we see commit the most horrible acts of brutality is Captain Vidal. Right. And he's a human. I mean, there's nothing mythical or fantastical about Captain Vidal. And the other creatures, some of them, a lot of them are helpful. The Pale Man, of course, is not, but he never, he's not actively... He never succeeds in committing no, an act of brutality. only a small part in the film. Exactly. But probably one of the best parts. And and I I love that aspect because you so rarely do you see monsters being Right. Heroes. They're almost cliched in a way in yeah. other films. Monsters are there to scare and frighten and be evil and kill. Yeah. And, and not only not only uh does he make humans the heroes, but and I say this with a staunch record of heterosexuality, <laughs> but Captain Vidal is a good-looking man. I mean, he's a very attractive, young, vital man. And it, it's it's something you don't see often. Even in movies today, we still kind of, typically villains look a certain way. Right, you look at them and you know they're the yeah. villain. They... Usually the most beautiful characters are not the villain. And uh, in We'll discuss this again, particularly in Devil's Backbone, where the good-looking characters are typically the villains mm -hmm. in Guillermo del Toro's movies. It is a very interesting concept, to be sure. Yeah. So, anyways, what would you give Pan's Labyrinth? 
Well, I think it's no secret. It's probably been no secret for the many times we've hinted at it yes. in past episodes. I have to give it a five. I'm giving it a five as well. I think it's not only the greatest film of last year, I think it's one of the best films of the past 25 years. Fantastic. You have to run out and get this movie right now. Okay, now let's move on to our next Guillermo del Toro movie we'll be talking about today, The Devil's Backbone. With The Devil's Backbone, Guillermo del Toro puts his unique spin on the ghost story genre. As with Pan's Labyrinth, the story is set during the Spanish Civil War, and once again the story revolves around children trapped in a world of violence. Carlos is the new boy at an orphanage that, while run by a kindly old doctor, holds a dark secret. Now, we both agreed that in Pan's Labyrinth, del Toro succeeded in making a brilliant postmodern fairy tale. Does he also succeed in this postmodern ghost story? I think he does. I don't think the film is quite as good as Pan's Labyrinth, but it still is a very enjoyable, very different and uh, a nice, new, fresh take on the ghost story genre. I really liked it. Um, the uh, As with Pan's Labyrinth, the visuals are very well done. Yeah. You know, the directing is spot on. The acting's good. The presentation's good. The design is great. The ghost design is fantastic. Oh, I love fantastic. the ghost design. Yes. I love the, the water effects with the ghost. Yeah. Amazing. Yes, very, very well done. I, I also, I, I want to talk about, briefly, here about a specific scene, the keyhole scene. <laughs> yes. That, that I just, you know, and it's sort of a cheap scare, but at the same time, I, it gets away with it because there aren't many cheap scares in this movie. I mean, whereas a lot of ghost and horror stories, all you get are those jump type of scares. And this, I feel, is more a sense of creepiness. See, I don't feel it's a cheap scare, partly from what you just said, because I yeah. think the creep factor is is yes. heightened to a, another level in this movie. But also, the fact that it, it's it was a very interesting idea. I mean, what he did with it yeah. was something... I mean, a cheap scare to me is where it's... There's no way you could have ever seen it coming. It's just something oh, that yeah. appeared and frightened you. This, you, I knew That's true. what was coming, but still was scared when it and, happened. And don't get me wrong, I wasn't calling this a cheap scare. I meant that it has elements okay. of that type of scare you'd see in other movies. Right, because essentially it's something popping out but with the... I do love the scene, and uh, I mean, part of the things I love, part of the thing I love about it is, I, one thing you have the creep factor yes where it does scare you yes but at the same time you get this these pair of boys looking at each other and once again we have a monster a ghost in this case that is heroic and you get them looking back and forth across the keyhole and obviously it's frightening but at the same time the boy the ghost of the boy seems more inquisitive than anything else. Right. Similar to the boy who's looking, uh, Carlos, who's looking, looking out, out of the, the keyhole. Yes. I mean, it's it's a really great scene. I loved how that scene was put together. I agree. Um, a lot of the scenes were put together very, very well. Where I think this movie falls a little short of Pale, or Pale's Labyrinth, I'm sorry, Pan's Labyrinth, mm -hmm. is the villain. 
Yeah. Captain Vidal, as you know from last week, I put him on my top five list of villains. Right. And while the villain in this is good, mm-hmm. I don't think he's as good as Captain Vidal. So maybe maybe my opinion would be swayed if I saw this movie before yes. I saw Pan's yeah. Labyrinth, but I didn't. And so this is how I feel about it. I just... I'm going to disagree with you in the sense that I almost think they're impossible to compare to one another. With Captain Vidal and Pan's Labyrinth, you really have him portraying a one-dimensional villain. And and that's what it's supposed to be. It's a fairy tale. I mean, he's supposed to be one-dimensional, whereas in this... I don't think he's one-dimensional at all in Pan's Labyrinth. I think he's one-dimensional in this. In Devil's Back. Oh, see, I disagree because in this, I think we get a lot of background about why Yacinto acts the way that he does. I, I think that we see him as a wounded boy. In a lot of ways, Carlos could become this boy, if this man, if things were allowed to progress. I mean, he was a kid who's abandoned by the war and who grew up in this culture of violence, and he's just looking to get his. You almost look, I, I looked at him as a boy, a boy who was basically good, although kind of pathetic, who fell in with the wrong crowd. I guess. Um, I don't know. I still feel I, I don't... And I don't mean to knock Captain Vidal by saying one-dimensional. That does sound like a knock. But I, I thought he was a great villain. It's just I think that the rules called for two different things. I guess maybe. I think it's almost apples to oranges. The reason why I say it, for me, Captain Vidal showed multiple sides. I mean, he was almost a dictator with with his army. He was so strict and so by the book. Yeah. But yet, at the same time, you know, when his wife was in pain and in labor, you know, he's running to be at her side. Yeah, but he only cared about his son. That's true, because I guess if if he even claims if you have to save one, yeah, save his son. Yeah. But, I just, I don't know, I liked him better. For me, I ended up, I liked him better as a villain, meaning I, I hated him more. I wanted to see Captain yeah. Vidal get what was coming well, to that's him true. more than that. That is true. Jacinto. But in a way, I, I feel that's because you sympathize more with Jacinto than with Captain Vidal, because Jacinto's more of a fully realized being. And once again, I, I sound like I'm trashing Captain Vidal, and I don't mean to, but I, I just think that you, you see Jacinto as a man who made bad choices and became evil. Whereas Captain Vidal is kind of prototypical see, I evil, guess almost I like didn't. an emperor just, type of thing. I just see Jacinto as someone who wants gold. I mean, that he made mistakes in his past, Yeah, but, you know, he does what he does because he's just after gold. Well, I, I think, though, he's not so much after the gold as what he can get with the gold. In other words, freedom and escape from the... He thinks he can leave behind the life that he was trapped in. Okay. So, I, 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 I mean, I, I respect your position. I just disagree. This, this is one of the few times you're not wrong. <laughs> so, I, I just disagree with that. But, um, it, so, I don't know. 
I, I want to say, though, other than Yacinta, I also felt that all of the performances were very solid. Oh, yeah, season. the acting I mean, was good. I mean, I wouldn't knock that at it, all. It was, uh, it was really great all the way around. I, I really liked Frederica Loopy as a... Uh, uh, <laughs> that's I'm sure I'm sure mispronounced, but uh, as the the doctor Caceres, and just everything the the woman who played Carmen Marissa Paredes, I thought she was fantastic in that mm-hmm. role. Yeah, A she, really she interesting role, too. very good character. Yeah, so I I really loved that. I loved a lot of the connections even between the boys. You know, sometimes this movie almost reminded me of Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Just because you have a group of boys that start out fighting, and then when, you know, their survival kind of is threatened, they band together. And, you know, you have this connection between Jaime and Carlos Mm -hmm. as they, as Jacinto returns, and they try to exact revenge on him. And even... As they try and and they almost make a connection with uh, Santi, Santi the ghost. Yeah. It's it's just a really neat dynamic, I think. Oh, I I agree totally. I I do. The only negative I can mention with it is not anything tangible, but I just I do agree with you that it's not as great a film as Pan's Labyrinth, but. I'm finding it very difficult to put my finger on why. I I think it just lacks that intangible beauty and perfection that Pan's Labyrinth has. You know, the the pacing of the movie is a little slow. I mean, yeah, the pacing is yeah. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the reason why you know you it's not as perfect as Pan's Labyrinth, but it, it's something that yeah. could help. You know, there there are a few times during the movies, you know, you're. You see some of these awesome scenes like the keyhole scene and, and any time with the ghost and you're kind of just like, you love it. And then yeah. other scenes you're kind of like, Yeah, I, I don't really think that's it though. I I think, you know, getting into philosophy of art for a second, that I think there is a heart element to all works of art. And it's difficult to put your finger on it. But there's a certain pulse beat that every work of art has or doesn't have. And I won't say this one doesn't have it, because it does. But Pan's Labyrinth has a much stronger one. I guess I could agree with that. You know, it's a very hard thing to articulate, but that's the best I can do. There's just something that it's just shy of being great. I would agree. And uh, for that reason, we will now discuss our scores. What do you think? Uh, well, I think it's a fantastic movie to watch if you like Pan's Labyrinth, if you like Guillermo del Toro, if you just like ghost stories. I think it's a fantastic movie to watch, although not as strong as Pan's Labyrinth. I'm going to give it a four out, four point five out of five. I also liked it very much. You know, it's a it's a great inspired creative movie of a simple ghost tale you might tell around a campfire, and I had maybe a few more complaints. I'm giving it a four. All right. So I think we both agree The Devil's Backbone is a great film to check out. Highly recommended. Finally, folks, we're going to reach all the way back to 1993 for the film Kronos. 
In Kronos, Del Toro's first feature-length film, he tells the story of Jesus Greece, a man who unwittingly becomes a vampire. Now, while there have been hundreds of vampire movies made, as we have mentioned numerous times already, Del Toro has a unique way of telling stories in old genres in new ways. Unfortunately, Kronos is nearly impossible to find anywhere, or to rent or buy, but we were fortunate enough to get our hands on a copy. Was it worth the effort, or are the millions of people who will never get a chance to see this movie better off without it? I, I think it was definitely worth seeing. I, you know, first of all, I want to start off by saying what we said about all of these films today. It has really great and interesting direction and shot composition, you know, and you can definitely tell Del Toro is at work here. At the same time, I think you can also tell that it's not quite as polished as Pan's Labyrinth or Devil's Backbone. I think you can see that he's... I mean, this was his first feature film. I think you can tell that in the shot composition and how he directs it. I basically agree. Okay. I, I do think the film was worth seeing yeah. if you're a film buff. Yes. I think if you're any other person, you're going to hate this movie. I think the visuals are very inspired, especially for being 1993, because you really don't see any sort of risk-taking. You don't see anything that's out of the norm that uses color, that uses lighting, that uses composition to really tell the story. Right. At the same time, I think some of the directing as far as transitions, you know, Pan's Labyrinth, they're perfect. They're mm. great. You have a, a wonderful, clever transition from scene to scene. They're almost amateur in this. They're yeah. they're almost like home movies. They're simple fade outs, including the, the sound. And I even had a problem with the sound. I thought it was very overpowering. Oh, absolutely. And I it mean, really threw me out of the film. The music was really hammy, <laughs> very <laughs> maudlin, completely over the top. I mean, in, in any scene, the mu music was supposed to be sad. It was super sad. Mm -hmm. If it was supposed to be excited, it was, it was like hyperactive. Right. You know, it was on, it had Tourette's. I mean, it, it was completely hammy. I agree. Um, as we've said with his other films, Del Toro takes a, a simple story and presents it in a new light, presents it in an inspired way. And while I thought the visuals were good, I thought the story was boring. I I disagree in the sense that, well... I'm I'm trying, because I half agree and half disagree. I agree that the story wasn't the most interesting thing, but at the same time, I loved the the symbolism and the imagery that was taking place. I loved the, the machine imagery. You know, not just whenever it would take us inside of the Cronus device, but also you would see the machines where the De La Guardias lived. You know, they lived in this... It seemed like an abandoned factory. I don't know if it actually was a functioning factory or not. Yeah. But you never see anyone in it, and none of the machines ever seem to work. But I love that because, to me, it it seemed like a subtle job because the De La Guardias are American, or uh, possibly the the uncle is German. Yeah. Because he does have a German name. I believe his name's Dieter. Dieter. 
Um, but they both have American accents. And obviously Ron Perlman as Angel. (laughs) Yes, as Angel is obviously American. And I felt that it was a subtle jab at at almost um, comparing American imperialism to vampires. Because they came in and they have their machines and stuff in this new modern world. And then you have the antique dealer, which, you know, antiques are kind of the traditional world. You know, and I, I thought that was kind of an element going on there. And I found that interesting. Well, that obviously but... went miles <laughs> in my head. I didn't think about that at all as I was fighting to stay awake through this movie. Uh, well, um, <laughs> but, but the street story isn't, isn't too interesting. You are right about that. I, I thought it was interesting on a symbolic level, though. But, but even... Even the characterization, you know, the the boys in the devil's backbone are right. great, great characters. The ghost is a great, great character. And in Pan's Labyrinth, you've got the fawn, you've got the pale man, you've got Vidal, Ophelia, the mother. All great, great characters. Mm-hmm. Not so great in this one. You have, no. you have uh, <laughs> Frederico Lupe, probably <laughs> pronounced Lupe, yeah. uh, who does a great job acting. Yes. As with the other films. And, and, you know, he as the vampire is probably the most interesting character, especially when he's probably. on the floor licking up well, blood. I, the, I, don't, I, I would think that, <laughs> a, uh, that Ron Perlman's angel is the most interesting character. Well, he was funny. Yeah. But, I mean, you're right, maybe not the most deep or whatever, but I think the most interesting to spend time with. I guess, maybe, because he was funny and... I mean, he was bizarre. I mean, it was, like, the weirdest henchman you've ever seen in a film, (laughs) probably in your life. But it worked for me. I mean, it, it was... I admire that Ron Perlman went out there and did that. You know, which, you know, from an actor like him, he does frequently go out there in roles. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought it worked. I could see people getting irritated by it, but I liked it. What about um, Dieter's character? Well, you know, Dieter's character I thought was pretty weak just because... I thought so, too. We, we never really... Other than the motivation of he doesn't want to die. That's right. all we know about him. And I, I definitely agree with your points that the characters are pretty flat and uninteresting. I would say all of them, including Jesus, are, are boring except for Ron Perlman's angel. And he's he's just not boring because he's, he's funny bizarre. And, yeah. It gets some comical moments. But um you know, definitely you, you talked about the children and Children are frequent in in Guillermo del Toro's movies. They they have prominent roles usually, and usually they're very rich character characters. Obviously, Ophelia in Pan's mm-hmm. Labyrinth is a rich character. Uh, the boys you mentioned in Devil's, Devil's Backbone. Backbone, and then in this you have uh, Tamara Shaneth playing Aurora, and not so much. She I, has absolutely zero speaking lines. Right, and um. And even beyond that, she doesn't do a whole lot. Not really. Except for possibly use the Kronos device to save yeah. her uncle, she's her more grandfather. Of a, she's more of a plot device than yeah. anything else. And that that is a bit disappointing. 
I did enjoy the elements of humor in the film, though. We we mentioned Ron Perlman, so there's no need to go back into that. But also The Undertaker, I thought, was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, he had some very funny moments. And and Jesus licking up the blood is pretty funny <laughs> as well. I, I mean, it, it definitely... And the shot is funny, too, wherever he's licking up the blood and then... I won't give it away, but what Ron Perlman does then and right. how it's shot and you're like, what the heck? And it's <laughs> it's really funny. It's it's almost like a mini sight gag type of thing. But definitely you're right. It's it's is kind of flat. It it doesn't have the depth of Pan's Labyrinth or Devil's Backbone. So what would you give Kronos? I was kinda split because I, I didn't really care for the movie. Mm-hmm. I'd never probably watch it again, and I don't recommend people to go watch it unless they're <laughs> a huge fan of Del Toro and want to see his earlier work. But I'm going to give it a three yeah, because I thought it, it does show great promise mm-hmm. for what Del Toro has accomplished now. And like I said at the beginning of the review, in 1993 when this movie came out, came out, you didn't see anything like this. I mean, the the, the use of color, the use of lighting, it was great. Some of the directing was a bit shoddy, but this was his first film. What do you expect? So I give it a three for its effort. Yeah, I I basically agree with you. Uh, I did enjoy it for the imagery and the symbolism a little more than you did, I think. I didn't find it boring. I thought it went rather quickly. But I do agree with you that if you're not a Del Toro fan, you probably don't want to make the effort to track this one down. Especially since you'll be paying upwards of $40 to get a hold of it, since it's out of print. Yeah, not worth it. So, uh, if you're a Del Toro fan and you want to see his roots, you'd like to see his evolution as a filmmaker, definitely check it out. I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of 5. And if so, you want to see Ron Perlman before he becomes Hellboy. Yes, a, a very <laughs> strange performance that's a, pretty much a classic act in the bazaar. Okay, that's all for today's show. If you would like to review any of the ratings that we gave the movies that we covered today, please visit thosemovieguys.blogspot.com. There you can find more in-depth reviews, our star ratings, as well as links to items that we may have covered in the show. Plus, you can subscribe to our feed. Also, you can visit Google Groups at groups.google.com. When you're there, search for Those Movie Guys. You can post a message to our forums. and You can also email us at thosemovieguys at gmail.com. Those movie guys at gmail.com. We look forward to any feedback that you can give us about why we're retarded. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. <laughs>